When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Attention DC, Boston, Toronto, and any place that can fly to those cities. We're going to be live on stage doing our thing again on May 4th, 5th, and 6th this year. That's right. And I got to say, we've done this topic a few times already, and it's a real banger. And we can't wait to come to your city and have you see it with us. We're so excited. And we just can't hide it. So go to linktree slash SYSK and get your tickets today. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too. So this is Stuff You Should Know. Old-timey history edition, quackery, sub-edition. Let's go. Yeah, we've covered a lot of quacks over the years. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um I want to shout out the a listener who wrote in about this one. This is where the idea came from. Oh. Because uh, I had never heard of John R. Brinkley, the famous uh, quack of the 1920s and 30s. Mm-hmm. But you know who did? Who? And I'm going to say, I'm going to spell it first. His name is Matt, S-E-J-N-O-W-S-K-I, from Austin, Texas. And I wrote Matt back and I said, hey, man, we're going to shout you out. Is the end silent? I figured it was Sajowski. And he said... The following. The N is not silent. The J is like an H and the W is like an F. So he, then he phonetically spelled it out uh-huh. as uh, Senufsky. Oh, wow. There ain't no F in this thing, but it's uh, Matt Senufsky. Very nice. I've, that's a that's a new one on me. So way to go, Matt, for your life. Yeah, so Matt, Matt's in this idea of uh, John R. Brinkley, who was a very famous and wealthy quack in the 1920s and 30s who um, Livia helped us put this together, which is a great, uh, I'm sorry to Livia for having to do this, uh, but he had this procedure called the goat gland procedure, Yeah, uh, which we'll get into in more detail later, but just as a way of setting it up, it's basically the practice of xenotransplantation. Um, and also, uh, Livia wanted to uh, shout out the book, The Bizarre Career of John R. Brinkley, uh, by R. Alton Lee from 2002. A mm-hmm. uh, great book and seems to be the book on John R. Brinkley, but xenotransplantation is sort of what he was dabbling in, and uh, that's how we're going to start this thing out. Yeah, which is a thing. It's just using organs or tissue or whatever body parts from other species in humans, right? Yeah. So a pig heart transplant. Sure. A xenotransplantation. And it's something humans have been trying to crack for a little while because we place such little value on animals that we are like, well, let's just harvest them for parts for ourselves. Right. There's a lot of stuff that we've run into, still run into, like specialized, weird, exotic infections that you can get. Um, just utterly rejecting, your body rejecting the organ or the tissue and actually getting mad at you for even trying it. But um, it's still going on, and there's a long history of trying it that goes at least back to the 1600s with a, a French physician named Jean-Baptiste Denis, which is a great French name. And he's, he started using blood from animals for blood transfusions. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the first uh, first whirl at melding our two worlds, our two bodies. Mm-hmm. And uh, they banned it for a while. It had mis- mixed results, and France said, no, you know what, we shouldn't do this for a while. Yeah, and this is this is 17th century France yeah, saying we shouldn't exactly. do this. <laughs> so good for them. Uh, in the 19th century, they started messing around with skin grafts uh, from different animals, and it 
it seems like the reports were uh, like success rates were mixed. But now we think modern medicine says, you know what it, it probably was, was more like it didn't work like a graft, but sort of like a skin like Band-Aid mm-hmm. while your skin underneath repaired itself. Right. If it, if it worked at all, that's probably what was going on. And they said, we should just make Band-Aids. <laughs> right. Make them out of pigeon skin. Exactly. So uh, one of the other things is kind of like tangential to that, but very much involved is the idea that different parts of different animals can give you, um, can, can rejuvenate your vigor or um, give you sexual vitality, you know, yeah. like make you strong like bull kind of thing sure. by eating bull's <laughs> testicles. That's the kind yeah. of the premise behind it. it. And it's not technically xenotransplantation because you're not inserting it into your body through like surgery, but... Um, by ingesting it, it is kind of close as far as that whole thing goes. I mean, you're really splitting hairs if you're like, that's not xenotransplantation. Why are you even bringing that up? Yeah. And this, you know, this factors into the eventual goat gland procedure we're going to get to. That's why we mention it. But that's why I brought it up. Yeah. I mean, for since the ancient Romans, there have been generally men that, uh, you know, something happens to men when they get older. That's why they have ED drugs these days. Because, you know, virility goes down and maybe erectile dysfunction happens. So this has always been the case. And even in ancient Rome, they realized this when they got older. It was sort of a downhill slope, sexually speaking. Mm -hmm. And so they would do things like drink hawk semen or uh, eat rabbit genitalia and literally just sort of like eating these things, like you mentioned, eating bull testicles or whatever, was has always been a thing, it seems like. Um, that hawk semen came out of nowhere. So apologies to anybody who was eating breakfast right there. <laughs> Good band name, though. Especially if you were eating cereal with milk. Right. All right. There is a guy named uh, Charles Edward, or sorry, Charles Edward Brown. How do you say Brown in en Francais? Brown. Brown. Sicard. He injected himself with um, some serum that he squeezed from the testicles of dogs and the testicles of guinea pigs. And he said, by God, this is amazing. I feel 30 years younger and I'm 72. I feel like I'm clearly in my 40s. And uh, you guys got to try this. And it spread pretty quickly. But then the other physicians are like, it's not making me feel anything at all except grossed out. So this is probably just a placebo effect that you were suffering from. They're like, still, yeah. let's get back to it. Let's keep trying. <laughs> uh, and then before Brinkley, not too long before, there was a, a pretty legit doctor named uh, Sergei Vornov who was doing surgeries where he would uh, use monkey testicles uh, as and transplant monkey testicles. Mm-hmm. And this was in France again in Paris. Uh, and then eventually thyroid glands from like a chimpanzee um, trying to cure thyroid deficiencies. So... Again, this just sort of idea of xenotransplantation has been around for a long time uh, before John Brinkley was born in the hills of North Carolina in 1885. Yes. By the way, Sergei Vornov's work, I think, is what led to the monkey gland cocktail. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Gin, orange juice, grenadine, and absinthe. It's named monkey gland. They're talking about that operation of getting monkey testicles implanted in you. So they made a cocktail over it. It's probably a safer approach. So Beta, North Carolina, or Beta, North Carolina, it's in the Appalachian Mountains. It's in western North Carolina, or WNC. And um, he was born into an odd family arrangement. His father was also named John, and he was a mountain doctor, an Appalachian folk doctor, basically. And he was married to um, a woman named Sally Mingus. And they were happily married, apparently, until Sarah Candace Burnett, who uh, was known as Candace, who was Sally's niece, came to live with them and very quickly got pregnant by John Sr. She was 24. He was 57. And that's where John Romulus Brinkley came from. Um, And it just got odder from there, right? Yeah. So John Jr. then, his mom is, what would that relation even be if it was... Well, it wouldn't be any relation to him, what, really. Sally Mingus? No, no, no. His 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 mom, Sarah. That would be his mom. No, no, no. But what I was trying to pin a, another an extra oh. relation, if you know what I mean. Sure. But there wouldn't be one because Sally wasn't even related to him. No, so, except by marriage to his father. Right. Oh, it's I a see what confusing. you're saying. No, you're right. You you're right. Mean? Yeah. No, I was about to be like, no, it's his cousin. But you're absolutely right. She's, she's there were no nothing. like. 
Yeah, no family shenanigans. But the long and short of it is, is that his his real mom Sarah died at twenty four. Uh, John Senior died um, not too long after that, and I believe by the time he was ten years old, he was in being raised by Sally, who was his dad's wife, but no relation. Right, Candace's okay. aunt. Yeah, isn't that odd? It, it is, and it's not. We've made it more confusing than it is. I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, actually, he like Brinkley. He was one of the great quacks of all time, like one of the greatest ever to live, and he showed kind of an early talent for quackery. He was a good student in school, but he left at sixteen, ran off and and got married. And he and his first wife Sally, um, they had a medicine show which is exactly what it sounds like. You're hawking tonics that you just completely made up out of whole cloth, um, but you're doing it by being super entertaining. And that kind of like, um, Olivia helped us with this, like you said, and she, she, as she put it, it kind of set the stage for his later career. He only did it for about a year or so before he went off and did some other itinerant work, but apparently that was the bug that bit him all the way back then when he was like 20, early 20s. It was, and uh, just to clear up, the Sally who was his wife was not his lady who raised him, Sally, who was not his mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, although that really would have completed the circle, had it been. It really would have. Uh, and Libya also points out something that uh, this was at a time when the medical establishment was not super established yet. So the the mountain folk doctor mm-hmm. was perhaps may, way more trustworthy than this modern learned doctor mm-hmm. who went to fancy medical school right. and like, I don't want your your real, you know, medicines. I want a bloodletting or uh, a purgative or some ivermectin or something. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was definitely one of those situations where I was like, wow, it's interesting how history can repeat itself <laughs> oh, all these years fun. later. I was yeah. going to say, I'm so glad we've moved on from that after all yeah. these years. Exactly. It is crazy. I mean, that's exactly what's going on. It's like, oh, you're an expert? Yeah. I don't trust you. I trust this guy who's trying <laughs> to put a crystal in my anus. Well, there there were a lot of weird similarities, uh, similarities with his story in like, modern times to me, but I don't want to delve into those too much. Okay. All right. But let's delve into medical school, which is what uh, Brinkley finally did at Bennett Medical College. It was what was called an eclectic medical school, mm-hmm. a lot of botanical remedies and stuff like that. And it was back then it was a a genuine branch of medical practice. But what he didn't know is that it was sort of like when I went to my little NYU film school for two summers and they taught me how to edit film on the flatbed machine. And like six months later, (laughs) they threw that all in the trash and said, now we're digital. Right. Uh, He went to eclectic medical school. And very soon after, they were like, you know what? We don't really count that as medical school, uh, and we're the AMA, and we're the deciders. Yeah, the Carnegie um, Foundation, I think, co- uh, commissioned what came to be known as the Flexner Report in 1910, which basically I want to do said, a thing on that. We will someday, sure. Yeah. Um, but, but the Flexner Report basically said, we've just surveyed all of modern medicine in the United States, and it is in sad shape. We basically suggest that you should follow the biomedical model and feverishly stamp out any competition to it. And that's kind of where the AMA went. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So Brinkley now has this uh, degree from Bennett College. He, uh, it's not to say that it was a pure bunk degree or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, He did go to lectures where there were real doctors. Uh, This one endocrinologist, Harry Hauer, I'm sorry, Henry Hauer uh, was an endocrinologist who taught him and he's where he sort of got the idea for these glandular extracts yeah. to heal the body. And I believe that's where Brinkley was kind of like, all right, let me put that in my hip pocket. Right. Harrower was like, try this adrenochrome. It'll really mess you up. <laughs> so uh, Brinkley uh, was not a good guy. It, we'll just go ahead and, and spoil that. Yeah. There, this isn't one of those stories where it's like, oh, the guy took on the medical establishment or the guy was like a, a David and Goliath or you know, he persisted or persevered or he was just like a rapscallion who is still lovable. He was a bad guy. Yeah. And um, there's a really early example of that uh, where his his marriage with Sally uh, was on the rocks and um, she filed for divorce. So he took their daughter, Wanda, their first and only child at the time, to Canada and basically held her hostage there until Sally agreed to reunite with them. Yeah, that's called kidnapping. Yeah, literal kidnapping. Um, and that's a, that's a good example of the kind of thing that he would do. And if you see pictures of this guy, he's got almost like a slight 
Casper milk toast tinge to him, <laughs> but he was not at all Casper milk toasty. He was he was a he was not a good guy. You'll see. Just just trust me. Yeah, he got he's got a bad look in his eye. You can tell. But like he's he's got soft soft rounded face. Yeah, he was he was a softy. Uh, he also married his second wife, uh, Minnie Talitha, mm -hmm. when he was still married to Sally. I believe it took a few years even where he had two wives before he got formally divorced. Uh, so not a good guy on the home front. He drops out of uh, medical school. He never finished, I believe, and then ended up, uh, I think he did end up finishing medical school. Yeah, years later. Uh, at, at the Eclectic Medical College of Kansas City mm -hmm. in 1915. Didn't keep him from practicing doctoring in that uh, sort of interim period. Um, but he and his wife, his second wife, Millie, I'm sorry, Minnie, uh, found an ad in the paper in 1917 from Milford, Kansas, mm -hmm. that said, hey, we're a small town, 2,000 people. We need a doctor and someone to run our pharmacy. Minnie had her own little dubious medical degree at this point. Mm -hmm. And so they said, all right, we're going to move to small town Kansas and be the town doctors. And that's what they did. So they were the medical providers for this entire town. Um, I've seen 200 people was the population at the time. I've seen 2,000, but I saw 200 on like a old PBS documentary on this. So I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. And um, going low? I am going low. <laughs> so um, so the uh, the Brinkley's provided care. Like they weren't, they didn't just immediately start grifting the town. Right. They actually did help see them through the 1918 flu epidemic. Um, they were fine. Like there was, people didn't have any real complaints about them. And then apparently just out of total um, happenstance, a farmer showed up uh, at the practice. This farmer went unnamed, but this is supposedly the first goat gland patient. And it was the farmer's idea to transplant goats. So remember, other people are trying this. It's not completely out of left field. But the, it was the farmer's idea. And from different accounts, including one, uh, there's a, a, a documentary called Nuts um, with an exclamation point mm -hmm. that, that says that the the doctor or the farmer kind of had to talk Brinkley into it, that he was revolted by the idea at first. And then the farmer's like, I'll pay you. And he's like, oh, okay, sure, let's do it. You going to read the quote? Go ahead. <laughs> so the farmer, I think Brinkley had made a joke about the goats were so uh, virile. Mm -hmm. And the farmer said why he didn't, quote, go ahead and put a pair of goat glands in me, transplant them, graft them on the way I'd graft a pound sweet on an apple stray. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know what any of that last part means. I think a pound sweet is a type of apple, and an apple stray is like a, a, a wild apple sapling that's sprouting up, so you want to make work out of it. Look at you. Hey, I just totally made that up, and <laughs> I'm really? sure we'll get tons of listener mail saying, Josh is so wrong, he couldn't be wronger. <laughs> Actually, somehow, an apple stray is really offensive. Right. <laughs> Uh, so Brinkley hesitated at first, like you mentioned, and then the farmer said, I'll even bring you the testicles of the goat uh, and put them in my scrotum. And that's what he did. And so what we don't know is this farmer's name. And so we don't really have a great uh, idea of how this really went because it's not officially on record. Right. Doesn't really matter. I mean, sure, it mattered to him. But the long and short of it is, is that this procedure happened and word got around, and all of a sudden, a second patient stepped forward, Mr. William Stitzworth, mm -hmm. and said, hey, I would like this goat thing too. And Brinkley said, I'll one-up you. I'll put some goat testicles in you. I will put some goat ovaries in your wife. Yeah. And then Livia wrote the best sentence she's ever written for us when she said, within a year, the couple had a child who almost unbelievably they named Billy. Billy, the goat <laughs> gland child. Oh, wow. So this was the start of something big, um, as Burt Bacharach put it. Yeah. How much money was it? He charged him 750 okay. bucks, which is 10 grand today, which if this were a legitimate surgery, 10 grand's not that bad in today's money, pretty, right? Pretty good deal. But it wasn't a legitimate surgery. It was a completely made up surgery where basically he would take um, the testicles, a slice from a testicle of a young goat, mm -hmm. about three months old, specifically a Toggenberg goat, mm -hmm. which are these tiny, cute, very um, clean kinds of goats mm -hmm. that don't smell, I've seen, um, or I heard, or I smelled. And uh, 
they would he would take these little slices of testicles, make an incision in your scrotum, mm-hmm. put the testicle, goat testicle slice in there, mm-hmm. sew you back up. Mm-hmm. 10, 15 <laughs> minutes you were done. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He might as well put like a Tonka truck or something in your scrotum. Yeah. Like there was nothing biologically happening to this except maybe increasing your risk of infection yeah. and um, genetic chimerism where all of a sudden you had Toggenberg goat DNA mixed in with your own. Yeah. So it's not like he was, when we said testicles, he wasn't surgically attaching testicles to blood vessels or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told people that he was attaching blood vessels, mm-hmm. but he would, I'm surprised he even bothered to put the sliced testicle in there, to be honest. Well, he had some honor <laughs> in ethics. <laughs> He also had a pretty good eye for uh, advertising, and maybe that's a good place to take a break. Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about how he sort of revolutionized uh, PR in a way right after this. Stuff you should know. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. All right, so we mentioned he's doing this goat gland procedure. Brinkley mm-hmm. is. He's mm-hmm. a quack. Mm-hmm. He hired an advertising consultant and then uh, later on would hire a PR person. And these were these were sort of the beginnings of this kind of job in the United States. Right. And started to get the word out in newspapers such that he got some pretty prominent patients in there, didn't he? He did. And the one that really paid off the most was a guy named Harry Chandler. And um, thanks to his press, I mean, he got some crazy press throughout the, the country. His name became very, very famous, and people started traveling to Milford. And because of this, this you know, renown, uh, this publisher or owner, actually, of the Los Angeles Times put himself up as a patient. And I've seen either he put himself up or one of his editors up 
as a patient and said, here's the deal. If this is successful, we will sing your praises forever in the Los Angeles Times, which will legitimize you in ways you can't even imagine. If it's not successful, we're going to ruin you. What do you want to do? And he did it. He, he worked on either Harry Chandler or his editor, and it worked in whatever way this could possibly work. And uh, the L.A. Times started singing the praises of Dr. Brinkley, and he went from kind of famous to a global superstar as, as far as like a quack can get. Yeah. And uh, also, Key, and put a pin in this, uh, Harry Chandler owned Los Angeles's first radio station, mm-hmm. uh, KHJ, and this will all kind of come back into focus in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but things really picked up. Brinkley uh, built his own 16-bed hospital in Milford, Kansas, uh, a town of either 200 or 2,000. But it was <laughs> the population was rising, at least by 16, because I get the feeling those beds were always full of men who wanted these uh, Arkansasin, Arkansan? Arkansan. Arkansan goats, which he kept out back, and he would walk you out there mm-hmm. and say, you can even pick out your goat. Yeah. Uh, who, I, I mean, did he, was he killing these goats? I couldn't find any ink on what happened to the I goats. I either. I have to surmise that he did because he would order 40 or 50 of them at a time. And sure. once he took their testicles, they were it. worth nothing to him. Why would he keep them alive? So, yeah, I think all these goats died. Yeah, that's the worst part of this whole thing. I know. Uh, so pick out your goat. We'll put these uh, testicles in you, or at least part of them. And it not only is it good for this, but sort of like with the the, the medicine shows and the and the quackery of uh, snake oil salesmen, mm-hmm. he's like he he rattled off a list of other things that it would help. Right, like uh, schizophrenia, diabetes, sure. high blood pressure. Apparently, he did a goat ovary procedure to treat a spinal tumor on a woman. Basically, anything that could be wrong with you, he said this goat gland procedure is going to help. And then in addition, remember, he was an eclectic medical practitioner, so he was into herbs and tonics and tinctures and stuff like that. Um, And he sold patent medicines as well at a time where you could make a lot of money uh, selling patent medicines. So he had this thriving surgical practice that people would travel to Kansas to, to participate in, and then he was also selling patent medicines, too. So he was doing pretty well for himself by this time. This is the mid-20s. Yeah, and spoiler, by the end of this thing, he was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy human being. I saw between 1933 and 38, he made $12 million. And that I did the old West Egg converter. Of course. $256 million yeah. is what yeah. that's equal to today. This guy that's, was... Yeah. Made that from a made-up procedure that didn't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, uh, and again, one of the reasons why is because he ended up becoming kind of a media pioneer. Right. Um. He he made his name in this goat gland, um, operation, but he did a lot of innovative things in the early 1920s. He made a film called Rejuvenation Through Gland Transplantation. Mm-hmm. You think, uh, big whoop! It's a it's a movie that touts his practice. Right. But this was 1922. That. People weren't really using film for this stuff at the time. So he was one of the first, I guess it was one of the first kind of uh, infomercials. Basically, yeah. And um, so he bought a radio station, actually created a radio station, KFKB, Kansas First, Kansas Best. It was the first radio station in Kansas and just the fourth in the United States. This is 1923. And one of the things he would do would be basically like you just described, infomercials but on radio about his treatments, his patent medicines. He also had other stuff, too, where he would have, like in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where, uh-huh. like, they, the um, Singing Stephen to a can. Root was bringing, <laughs> yes, was yeah. bringing in, like, just country acts and recording them and playing them on the radio. This is the exact same thing. And because um, it had a fairly large reach for its size, uh, people started picking up on this and jiving on it, and he would get something like 3,000 letters a week and based on these letters, he would diagnose people on his show, The Medical Question <laughs> Box, right? Sorry, I was just thinking about Stephen Root in that movie and how over the top his performance was. Yeah, it's pretty good. Everything oh, about that movie great. was A-OK, man. It was really great. Uh, yeah, so he would have his Medical Question Box segment uh, and put a pin in this one, too, because he would literally diagnose people on the air, had a network of pharmacists across the country right. where he would say, go to... You know, if you're in Chicago, whatever, go to this doctor and get this drug or this tonic or whatever and start using it. 
Yep. And he would get a cut from it because it was his patent medicine. And then the pharmacist would charge like way more than you would for other kinds of patent medicines because it was a Brinkley patent medicine. So you could. Right. So he's getting all this attention. He's making a big name for himself. He's got infomercials and via film, via uh, radio. And he he made a little bit too big of a fuss over himself because as he is his star is rising, mm-hmm. um, people start uh, getting a little smarter about medicine. The AMA starts to sort of crack down a little more on quackery and things are getting a little more legitimized right, right at the time that this super illegitimate doctor uh, has his star rising. And in 1923, there were investigations into uh, not just his college, but all the kind of eclectic medical colleges. Right. And he even was uh, like they tried to arrest him for practicing medicine at one point. Yeah. When he went to California to treat um, Harry Chandler, the owner of the L.A. Times, afterward, uh, California tried to get him. So like he had the medical establishment. He had this, this guy named Morris Fishbein, the editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association, which was still very young at the time, beating the drum to like, like, go get that guy. This guy is a quack. He's making tons of money off these really risky procedures that don't do anything. And so he had like every everybody who had anything to do with the medical establishment now was after him, basically. Yeah, I got the idea from this and other research that Fishbein, I don't think he was consumed with Brinkley, but I think he really had it out for him as this top quack who was making tons of money. I think he really wanted to take him down. He really did. Um, he wrote a, an editorial in 1930, and he described um, uh, Brinkley as a charlatan of the rankest sort. <laughs> and he used his radio station to victimize people and to enrich himself. Yeah. And so the, the basically the Kansas Medical Board had no choice but to go after him because the Journal of the American Medical Association is saying this guy is a prominent quack practicing in Kansas. So Kansas had to do something. So apparently in 1930, they sent a contingency from the Kansas Medical Board to um, to watch him perform a couple of surgeries. And Brinkley went along with it. He, he performed two surgeries for them. Uh, one of them later remarked that his surgical techniques were um, excellent, mm-hmm. or his skills were excellent. And then they went back to Kansas City, and the next day they revoked his medical license after seeing him perform two surgeries. Yeah. They were like, you, you are a clearly skilled surgeon who is out of his mind. Right. And uh, I watched this 1986 PBS documentary on him. And in it, they have Minnie interviewed, his wife, who is totally in on this as as much as he is. And she was recounting that story where they they went back to Kansas City the next day and they revoked his license. And she was telling the story in kind of like a homespun country (laughs) kind of way, you know? Right. She just thought it was Pretty funny. Right. That was my that was my country <laughs> laugh that I just did. <laughs> um, and and so like she was completely in on it. She was not at all like being duped herself. She was she was totally in on this whole act. Yeah. So they uh, that hospital stays open in Milford, mm-hmm. uh, even though his license is revoked. He had colleagues that were still doing the surgeries. He was getting his cut. Uh, eventually, what's going to happen, of course, is some of those colleagues going to be like, "Well, why am I? I know how to do this thing now. Why mm-hmm. am I paying this guy part of my money?" I'm going to go open up my own shop. Uh, and that's what O.M. Owensby did. Um, he went 100 miles away in Ro- Rosalia, Kansas, and said, I'm going to do it for 600 bucks." And so Brinkley said, oh, yeah, I'm going to open up a sanatorium across the street from your place. <laughs> and I'm just going to start injecting people with a secret serum that I says does the same thing as that surgery. And I'm going to do it for 200 bucks. Yes. And so Owensby is a good example of what he would do. He would alienate his colleagues because he would do things like bite their ear off when they tried to keep him yeah. from stabbing a patient. He would um, he went on huge drinking binges and then would keep practicing while ruinously drunk and would try to kill people. He pulled a gun on some of his early patients in Milford to force them to pay a medical bill. Um, he chased somebody else, another patient out of the hospital with a knife. So he had a terrible reputation for violence, especially locally and among some of the colleagues that he worked with. So it's not really a surprise that anybody went off and like did their own their own chicanery themselves yeah. to kind of uh, compete with him. Yeah. So what happens, of course, is Brinkley says, here I am. Uh, I'm a successful 
uh, wealthy carnival barker and charlatan <laughs> who is is good at duping people and who has all these questionable um, ideas about uh, modern medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to get into politics and run for governor because I think people will buy what I'm laying down. And we'll take a break and tell you how that went right after this. Stuff you should know. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. Okay, Chuck, so if you're not practicing quack medicine, you should just get into politics. It's virtually the same thing, right? Sure. (laughs) So uh, not to get political or anything, but um, so he ran for governor in 1930. And remember, this guy is famous nationwide, if not internationally. Um, And he actually he was a write in candidate. So he he if you he was a bad guy. But he had good politics. He ran on something that you could call a proto-New Deal platform, um, which he called Sympathy for the Masses, um, which uh, was good pay for workers, um, pensions for people who uh, like Social Security, basically, Mm -hmm. um, uh, free medical care for the poor and indigent. um, And like it was not a bad platform at all, especially coming from a really bad guy. So it's almost like he... um, he was a true believer in his own politics, I think. I don't know that he was necessarily doing it to fleece the masses, although I'm sure he would have when he became governor. But um, he was running at a time where, again, people distrusted the people in charge, whether it was the experts at the AMA or mm-hmm. the people who'd been running Kansas and then Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was running as this everyman who— mm-hmm who, Mm -hmm. like, was not an expert, hated experts just as much as the rest of you, had Mm -hmm. no experience, but was still a great leader. Mm -hmm. And so he got voted for, I think he got something like 183,000 votes out of 600,000. He came in third as a write-in candidate. 
Yeah, and apparently the write-in part was a little hinky in that the uh, the Kansas Attorney General didn't like him and made it such where if the vote were to count, it had to be written exactly as follows, capital J period, capital R period, Brinkley. Um, and if you just wrote even, I get the idea, even if you just wrote JR without the periods. Right, that's uh, what that I it, got to yeah, that it wouldn't count. So um, people look back and say he may have even gotten another uh, 50,000 votes that didn't count for him. Um, yet he did not contest the election results, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising. Uh, and even ran again in 1932, again coming in third place. Uh, and that's where it seems like his political career kind of wound up. Yeah, he said forget it after that. Um so he lost his medical license. Remember, the Kansas Medical Board said, you're, you're done with this. And because of his um, use of uh, his radio station is diagnosing people um, over the airwaves just based on letters they wrote to him, the um, Federal Radio Commission, the, the um, predecessor to the FCC, um, said, you don't have a radio license any longer either. KFKB yeah. is no longer on the air. So he did something that was kind of a trend around this time in the late 20s, early 30s. He decamped to Mexico, just across the Rio Grande from Texas, and set up um, what, were, what was called the Border Buster radio mm-hmm. station, which was so powerful that it would overwhelm local uh, radio stations using the same frequency in other parts of the country. It was, that, it was like the loudest shout a radio station could do. And as a matter of fact, XERA which was the radio station he founded, was for a time the most powerful radio station in the entire world. Yeah, it was, by 1938, it was a 500,000-watt broadcast signal. And if you've got a 100,000-watt radio station, like that's, I don't know all the exact numbers, but that's a that's a, a big market radio station wattage these days, right? The biggest, most powerful radio station in the world right now is five, 450,000 watts. So but that's, that's 50, even an outlier. Watts less. Yes, it's a huge outlier. It's um, Shine 800, which is a religious station from Bonaire in the Caribbean. <laughs> Interesting. But I saw, Chuck, that um, they could actually boost XERA to 1 million watts oh at one God. point. <laughs> So it was just wow. crazy powerful and potent. And he was using this to 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 not just further his own um, agenda, but he also helped country music, not just him, yeah. but some other <laughs> like radio stations around the country that were kind of rogue radio stations. Um, they would put what they called hillbilly music on and would um, would it kind of gave country music like a foothold in the United States at the time. Yeah, because radio, you know, like the radio out of uh, the East, basically, um, was a little more sophisticated. You know, they're playing like jazz and like the, you know, the the whatever, you know, town singers and the, the choirs and things like that and the symphony. But he started playing country music and was able to uh, sort of break bands like, a you know, like a regular radio DJ would. This quack doctor who moved to Mexico to broadcast his his medical uh, quackery, all mm-hmm. of a sudden is like one of the first, I guess, DJs, for lack of a better word, to play things like the Carter family. Right. So he actually stayed in Texas right across the border from Acuna, uh, Mexico, where his radio station was, and he set up shop again. He's like, well, Kansas said I couldn't practice medicine, but Texas hasn't said that yet. And you said that he kind of uh, he dropped the... Um, goat gland procedure. Uh, he did. He replaced it with something else he called Formula 1020. <laughs> and rather than increasing... It's not shady at all. <laughs> no. No, I looked it up. Today, Formula 1020 refers to a mosquito spray, a pressure washer concentrate, uh-huh. or a solution for recir- <laughs> circulating cooling water. Yeah. Not the kind of stuff you'd want injected into you. Uh, and he sold it for 100 bucks for the six-shot course that you needed. And this was not for sexual virility. This was to treat prostate glands, which, remember, that was his first specialty. He kind of mm-hmm. came back full circle and started focusing on the prostate instead of sexual virility. And that was the first pillar of his downfall. He moved from sexual virility to the prostate. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, and uh, the reason why that was his first downfall was because— his old nemesis Fishbein, 
gets wind that Brinkley's career is kicked back in in Texas Mm -hmm. and said, well, you know what? The problem that I had with the the previous operation was I couldn't get enough men to come forward because they were embarrassed that they got this operation to begin with. So I didn't have this roster of uh, of people that were like wanted to sue him maybe into oblivion. But now that he's working on something less embarrassing, I do have people that'll come forward. Yes. Uh, by this time, I think in 1938, Brinkley had moved from Texas to Arkansas. Uh, apparently, he'd get uh, medicaled up pretty easily in Arkansas at the time. <laughs> and Fishmine published an article in the AMA magazine. Uh, and what is that? Hygieia? Yeah, it's a terrible name. It's a terrible name. Um, it, where he, again, was denouncing Brinkley. Brinkley sued for libel, and that was a big mistake because at this trial, he had to, like, under oath basically admit that the goat gland surgery was bunk. That was suing Fishbein was the second pillar to his downfall, and, like, that was such a bad move. And I don't know if he felt either indignant and lost his head about it. I think or so. he felt like he had to defend himself or else he was basically tacitly agreeing that he was a charlatan or a quack. I don't know. Sort of the hubris of the wealthy, too, you know? I could see that because, again, he's got a quarter of a billion dollars at the time. I could yeah. see him just thinking that he's unlike anyone else. So, yeah, it probably was hubris. So uh, on, on the stand, he admitted that, yes, he knew that the goat gland operation didn't work. Um, and he lost that case and he, he took it to the Court of Appeals. And the appellate court said this, quote, he was indeed a charlatan and a quack in the ordinary, well-understood meaning of those words. <laughs> like, you all know what that means. So therefore, Fishbein could not have been engaged in libel because the court found that he actually was a quack. Yeah. He actually was a charlatan. So now not only was the editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association saying he was a quack, an appellate court in, I think, Texas said the same thing. So he, uh, he, he fell pretty hard pretty quickly from that moment on. He did. Uh, now this opened him up for malpractice suits. Uh, I believe three million bucks in damages back then is about 60 plus million today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his radio station still until the Mexican government came along and confiscated XERA uh, again for, you know, just radio malpractice, I guess. <laughs> And he started to suffer health problems. Uh, he, When he lost that radio station, that was a big emotional blow to him. Uh, he suffered a, what's called a coronary occlusion, uh, big-time heart trouble. Uh, he didn't rest like the real doctor said he should. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a blood clot that went to his leg. Uh, that leg was amputated. And then his family fell into bankruptcy in the 1940s, right? Yeah, from all the lawsuits that he was having to defend and pay off. Then finally, in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, a grand jury indicted him for mail fraud, along with Minnie and then six other uh, members of his medical practice. And he never made it to trial. He died before um, it, it could come to trial. He died on May 26, 1942. So he was never actually convicted of anything, as far as I can tell. He just lost a civil case and then was definitely about to be convicted of mail fraud, but he died right. before he could be. Yeah, at what is that? Fifty-seven years old. Yeah, not that not that old. Yeah, not that old. And that is, uh, yeah, that's John Brinkley's story. Yep, that's could it. be a movie, but I feel like movies like this don't do well, so they don't even make them anymore. No, he's not at all sympathetic. And if you made him sympathetic, you would be using a lot of license. Well, I think it might have to be told through the lens of Fishbine. I guess so. I guess so. Sure. The, the dogged pursuer of truth. Yeah, played by Sam Rockwell. Yeah, although Rockwell seems like he could have been Brinkley. Oh, he could do either one. Why don't you yeah. just make them both? Pay him one, oh, pay him one salary. That's, like that's Tom what Hardy. you do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, since we came up with the great um, structure to a movie on this, I say it's time for listener mail. All right, hey, guys, uh, longtime listener. Uh, I recently moved to Nashville for work, so I was excited when the Grand Ole Opry episode came out. This is mm-hmm. an old one. Okay. I attended my first show at the Ryman just a few weeks ago and really enjoyed the episode, but I got a promotional email from the Ryman with a feature called Celebrating the Women of the Ryman's History. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to tell you about Lula C. Naff, who was responsible for bringing the Grand Ole Opry to the Ryman Theater. She was definitely making her own way in a man's world, uh, often going by L.C. Naff, 
and her gargantuan contributions to the music scene in Nashville seem to be all but forgotten. Uh, she was working as a bookkeeper for an agency that booked performances at the Ryman. When the agency dissolved, the widowed Lula needed a way to continue to provide for her daughter, an aging mother, so she convinced the Ryman's board to let her rent the space and put on the events. Mm-hmm. Lula recalled herself an unreconstructed rebel and was known for being difficult, but the Ryman's museum curator says she got the building out of debt, uh, bought, uh, brought a powerful variety to the building's state, and uh, defended the public's right to see whatever entertainment they desired when she challenged the Board of Censors' attempt to block a performance. Uh, seemed like a real rock star, and that is great additional information from Katie. Thanks a lot, Katie. Uh, appreciate that. We definitely... I don't recall her name at all, do you? I don't think so, but Lula sounds like she might deserve her own episode. Or movie starring Sam Rockwell. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Katie, right? Yep. Uh, did, you can email us. Thanks, by the way, Katie. Uh, at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.